0: and welcome to Successful Student Transitions, A Time to Thrive. I'm Louise Wiles and I co-host this podcast together with Elizabeth Gillies. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi there. Lovely to be here. Now, our aim is to support young people as they step out of college, school and home life and into a more independent lifestyle at university or the world of work. This podcast series aims to guide students through the ups and downs of this transition period, whether it's preparing to move, arriving and settling, making friends, dealing with the challenges that come with independent learning and living. And today we're starting a two part series on the subject of assessments and exams. The first part Today is all about understanding exam stress and where it sits with you. And the second part will be about introducing other helpful strategies for managing yourself through times of exams and assessments. Now, we're publishing this episode in February 2024, a time when many students in the UK are getting their heads around mocks, assessments and the run up to GCSEs, A-levels, IBs, and then at university, the looming end of year exams and finals. So it's exam and assessment season. Now, exams and assessments, as well as being about the assessment of knowledge, ability, and progress, also represent the end of one period of education and the move into something new, be it the new, the next educational journey, or a move out of full-time education into apprenticeships, world of work. So it's a time of focused academic work, but also the beginning of a period of change and transition. So not surprisingly. It can be, feel quite a challenging and at times stressful period in people's lives. So let's start by talking about why we might be feeling this and how it plays out in our lives as students. student. Elizabeth. you
1: know, I was sitting listening to, to you kind of introducing and I'm starting to feel anxious myself, <laughs> you know, just sometimes that word of exams or assessments. So I think we've got to acknowledge that. And what we're going to do today is kind of place it in the context of this is a, this is a normal, you know, expected for most people, people feel anxious about these things. So it's a part of that stress of university life or wherever you are, when you're, when you've got these assessments coming on, there's going to be judgment there somehow. Um, and along with all those other new things that you're doing, if you are at university, you're now managing this. This kind of it is. A, you're right, Louise. It's another transition from that routine of what you've been doing into a period where there is likely a bit more pressure. And when I was going kind of researching a little bit about what what we were going to present on this. I came across this statistic that two-thirds of eight to 17-year-olds, and goodness knows it likely doesn't stop there, when they were surveyed in 2020, said they felt more stressed about homework and exams. So you can see there's a high tension there, and that this level of stress was linked with worry. It was really common, and it was more common than being worried about what other people think about them, and even more worrying than them being bullied. So the first thing we have to say, it's common and certainly worth noticing if any stress is having an impact of you and what skills do you have to support yourself. And really important that if it is having a big impact on you, you need to ask for help as soon as you can. So just as I kind of notice a little bit of stress in me, notice if there's stress in you once we start to talk about exams. Uh, We're going to do a couple of exercises here, not to get rid of your stress, because as you'll find out, we need it. We need a level of it. But we might lower the temperature of it, but not too much. One of the things that I really like to do is something called four six breathing. So you're breathing in and then breathing out much longer than you're breathing in. So breathe in for a count of four and out for a count of six. Breathe in through your nose. And if you could see me, I would say to you, breathe out, blow out like you're blowing out my birthday candles. Let's see, likely if there's a lot of students listening, I've got a lot more birthday candles than you. So breathe in for a count of four, hold it slightly, and then out for a count of six. Just take time to do that now. So it would go something like this, in, two, three, four, and hold, and out, two, three four, five, six. Try to do four more times in your own, or you could pause the tape and then come back to it. So that's one thing that you might be able to do to kind of lower that temperature of your stress level. And also there's other kind of body things you might do, like we've talked before, like stretching, having a break, coming back to listening, getting yourself a glass of water, making some good choices for yourself, just as you'll be doing if you're revising or studying. So the first thing we're going to do is just discuss stress, or maybe we're going to talk about it as arousal levels, but how how we kind of need energy sometimes to do the stuff we do, so stress arousal levels. And there was a concept by Yerkes and Dodson of an inverted U shape. So imagine a U and turn it upside down. Some people call it a bell-shaped curve. We'll put the diagram on our Instagram account. And it's their explanation of the link between arousal and performance. So that stress that you might get, that arousal, you might get at exam period time. And if you imagine like a graph with an X and a Y axis, arousal or stress is along the bottom, the X axis, and performance is on the perpendicular axis, the Y axis. So if you imagine this curve on the left-hand side of the curve, the arousal is low and the performance is also low. You might not have the motivation or drive to do well. There might be a bit of boredom and disinterest. You might be just really laid back and be not that bothered. So there's there's both low arousal and low performance there. And as the curve goes up into that bell-shaped part, the biggest middle bit of the curve, we can see that arousal and performance is going up. There is what we would call optimal levels of strength, stress that bring with it motivation to do well. It creates alerting energy, attending to what you need to do. And that broad band of the curve means good performance happening at a good or optimal stress level. And of course, at the other end of the bell-shaped curve, when it's coming down, it's another time of low performance, but high, really high arousal, where this really interferes with how well you perform. Here, there's fatigue, anxiety, and if this sticks around for a long time, burnout can happen. So, another way to think about it is imagine that elastic band, you know, if if it's just floppy and not doing anything, it's not active, it's not engaged, it's not working, there's no push and pull of it, it's not doing that much. And then we give it some good tension, that it's stretched, it's focused, it's performing. But of course, the high arousal comes if we really stretch that band out to its limits, it's kind of breaking point there'll be low performance and low input at that at at that higher end of the curve well, So what do we learn from this graph we learn that stress is a normal response to acquire to requirement to perform that not all stress is bad some level of stress is helpful to promote performance to get out of bed to study to make a plan to help us remember and tune into previous learning of what you've done and then in, in the exams and assessments you know you've likely done all this kind of stuff before and there was likely a level of tension around you've had some things that you've done before that have been good enough stress to get you into that so we're kind of saying to you now you need to listen to the signal of stress we've talked about reading signals in your body before and we're going to do that again. Today, in we talked about it in that inner world podcast. Might help to really listen to that as well. But most students will feel stress around exam times when you're handing in assessments, and for some students, of course, this stress can tip you right into that right-hand side of the curve. And when you're getting into that into that area or getting close to it, this stress can be really difficult for you, and. We'd asked you to really notice if you're getting close to this point, this is when you need some help. You need to talk to your tutor, someone who could help you understand your stress and help you develop some strategies that work. So in the podcast today, we're going to be focusing more on helping you with ideas and strategies that will help you keep in that middle range of the curve. Not about when you get a crossing to the right-hand side, That's when you need more expert help. And if you did listen to Louise interviewing people from Bristol University, that certainly gave us a wealth of resources and people to go to at university if those things are troubling for you. So I want you to have a little bit of reflection time when I've been talking about that curve. Can you see yourself on those different parts of the curve? Are you aware when your stress or arousal is low? When it's maybe at that optimal level and sometimes when it when it can maybe just get into that high level hopefully that's really short when are those times and it kind of reminds me of that Goldilocks and the three bears just too little just right or too much so can you notice when your stress levels are in that. First of all, I want you to be thinking of what does it look like when it's not enough for you. It's you're on that low level, or you don't want to perform, or you're you're finding it hard to kind of get going and stuff. Louise, when's just right for you? What what happens there for you?
0: Okay, I'll just relate it to some work yep. and you know, rather yeah, rather than just general life. But I think it's probably when I'm doing something that sort of is meaningful to me and it matters to me. So I've kind of got that sort of vested interest in what I'm doing. And I know why it's important to me. And I've got quite a high level of interest. So it's not tough to be doing the work. I'm quite enjoying doing it. And because I'm enjoying it and because there's a high level of purpose, I am able to sort of test myself, push myself a little bit. If I'm asked to go a bit beyond the norm, that's fine because it's it's something that yeah, I feel ready to do. And I think also when I'm working in this way, I have sort of strong sense of my strengths and what I can call on to and the skills and knowledge I probably know what I'm used what knowledge is, is relevant and available to be used I know what skills I'm using what strengths so it fills within the range of my capability and my competence I think that's really important so that helps me to to invest in the work and get the work done just listening to Elizabeth in the first just finishing off the first little bit there that she was talking about and you're talking about a little when it, when arousal levels get too high I think sometimes our arousal levels do get too high and and we cope with that because we're doing something that we know we need to do and we want to do and we're vested in it and I think at those times it's okay to have that level of perhaps a bit of panic about something and to be walking around going, I'm really stressed because I've got to get this finished. So we're not saying you shouldn't feel that. But what we are saying is that if that is constant, a constant state, then, you know, over weeks, then that's something you need to to think about. But I think we all do at times push ourselves to the limit. You know, I'm, I'm also someone who often leaves things to the last minute because I just focus so much better when I have to get stuff done. But that has the downside of of be <laughs> causing some considerable panic as well. But for me, there's just some some trade-off there that just seems to happen naturally. And I think for other people that's the case too sometimes. So it's it's knowing yourself. So yeah. understanding, yeah, what works for you, what doesn't.
1: Yeah. And if you can place yourself on this sort of stress curve, because I think you're right. When things are working well for you and you've got a bit of stress, you've got that motivation, you've got the drive, you've got the bandwidth to do things and cope with things. And even you can be cope with just stretching yourself a little bit further like that elastic band. So especially if you know it's not going to be for a long time or if you know that you've got skills to deal with it. Mm. So if we were to kind of move our way completely from that optimal state where I guess a lot of us like to be, and a bit like you Louise, I know I can work at that more pressured bit for a short time, not too prolonged. But so if we're thinking about moving out of the optimal space and going into more that more challenging bit. And of course, this could be different for different students and you could feel and think differently. But it's often a combination of negative negative thoughts or predictions, physical symptoms and emotions that come up with that stress and impact on what we do. We likely all know that butterfly in the stomach feeling. Changes in our breathing, often shallow or faster. There might be change of thoughts or if I fail this exam, it'll lead to me having to reset the year and then I won't be with my friends and then I'll be on my own. So that chaining can all be there. And it's all with a pessimistic view. Not that if I... You know, I'm with some other friends, other people, I might meet some new friends. That, that doesn't exist when there's a lot of prolonged stress. We can often get angry with ourselves and there's a heightened inner critic. I'm so stupid, I should be able to do this. And then before you know it, you've tipped into anxiety and high anxiety can take hold. And this will certainly affect what you do. You might be finding yourself spending more time on your own, like avoiding things and not being with people. More eating, comfort eating, or even losing your appetite. So high levels of stress can affect us in lots of different ways. You know, Louise. You know, if this is prolonged stress, have you ever noticed it in yourself or with other people?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, even with myself as well. So kind of this rising sense of panic. You know, I was just saying above, I, there's this trade-off about getting stuff done and leaving it um sort of late in the day, and so I do open myself to that kind of situation where there perhaps is a rising sense of panic. And then I start, yeah, to talk to myself. You know, I'm annoyed with myself. Louise, you always leave everything to the last minute. Should have been more organized. It's all going to go badly because you haven't got time to finish it properly. You're know, giving yourself the best chance. So all of those kind of thoughts start clouding. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, over time, you, I find it difficult to actually sort of marshal my thoughts and, and actually get down to what needs to be done. And, you know, it all becomes very challenging, I suppose. And I can't so easily work and, and then work the plan, your plan, and then work that plan because I have too many competing ideas and emotions and it all just becomes a hot potch or a bit messy. So, yeah, I can relate to that definitely. Mm-hmm. And, and I think for you, what happens to me is there's maybe a lot of feelings of
1: uncertainty. I don't know what's going to happen or i mm-hmm. how can I do this. And, you know, for maybe students thinking, oh, I don't know what the exam room is going to look like. And what if this happens and what if that happens? You know, lots of unknowns and maybe, you know, feeling that our confidence is kind of being dented to. And, and that can leave us feeling a bit frozen, not knowing what to do. So we've got to we've got to kind of think about, well, given that these are things that that happen you know, what can what we do about it and i think the first thing to do and to know is that stress and performance so sitting exams or handing in assessments whatever the performance requirement is stress and performance go hand in hand so if it's good stress poor stress or high stress they're they're all go- they're going to be there together and we want to kind of make it work in the best way for us so know that stress around the exams you know might show up for you and think about how it does, how it shows up for you. I think is really important. So understanding it first for yourself: is it physical feelings? Is it that stomach? Is that is it sweating? Is it is it you know fast breathing? Um, think about where the the physical feelings are in your body. Is it about your thoughts and about predicting things and you know focusing on that chaining and like just predicting the worst is going to happen. And of course, it might be a messy interplay of lots of those things. And, and about then what you do about it, you might just avoid it and not do anything, you know, feel a bit frozen about it. And certainly if you go online and look up student exam stress, there's a lot of strategies out there. Um, they're often helpful about organising your study routine, about sleep and eating. And of course, we all we recommend all of those approaches because they're linked to our fundamentals and that dynamic of well-being. And sometimes I think a bit more is needed to reflect on your inner world of thoughts and feelings about this about stress and about exams. So what's happening in there, trying to take time to notice, not react, but pause and respond. You've heard me say this before, before we look at strategies. And there's a body of psychological work that's focused on something that we'll call reappraisal, having another look at something, take what's happening in our mind or body and observing it rather than being it, giving it some different meaning so we can respond to it rather than react, building our knowledge of ourselves as having a predominantly negative bias, looking out for threat and danger for survival and making choices about what is helpful in today's world, naming it to tame it. There's that scary exam story we might even call it. In the Inner World podcast, we focused on noticing thoughts. And research around this reports that we've got tens of thousands of thoughts every day, with 95% being the same thought. Wow, that's just like amazing to kind of think about. So if the thoughts are there like, mm, this is scary. this exam is going to be scary, you know, I don't know if I'm going to do it, how am I going to pass this? So if these same thoughts are going round and round in your head about stress and exams, it's going to weigh very heavy. And in that Inner World podcast, I provided the experience of writing down one of those thoughts that might be going round and round in your head. and call it rumination. It might be, think about what it is for you. And Louise, maybe you think about what it is for you as well. Is it, I'm going to fail this exam, I'll never pass, everybody else is going to get a better score than me. So if you can write that down, write that down about that thought. If you can capture that thought in your head, write it down on a piece of paper. Write that thought down about your exam stress.
0: Hopefully you've got one. You've got one, Louise? Um, I suppose if I'm thinking about presentations, I yeah, do it. Think. For you. I'm worried people... Will laugh and you know, yeah. and yeah, just yeah. not appreciate or like what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. agree with actually. agreement's often a thing for me. Yeah, people, it's all right. I'm worried about somebody's going to disagree,
1: I'm worried about I'm going to fail my exam. Under that, I want you to write down this I want you to write down there's the thought that there's the thought that. I'm worried I'll fail the exam. There's the thought that I'm worried people will laugh at me. There's the thought that. So write a longer sentence and at the beginning of it, it's about you observing that thought. There's the thought that. If you want to just to stop the recording now and maybe do a couple more for you on that one, write the immediate thought you've got and then write it down with, there's the thought that, in front of it. And you might notice in yourself when you're reading that or writing that, you might notice something. Louise, did you notice
0: anything about it? Yeah, I think it was writing there's the thought that it kind of just puts a distance between me and that thought. It makes me observe the thought rather than be the thought. So um and gives me a moment to question it and to think, okay, yeah, there's that thought, but actually, yeah, it's not. That's a, what it is. That's a thought, yeah. <laughs> well, not defining the outcome of, of what I'm about to do, yeah.
1: And it's one thought. Yeah, it's one thought that likely exists a lot of the time in our head, but it's one thought. And, you know, we know a lot about why thoughts like this exist. I think we I called them before kind of like sticky thoughts or, Velcro thoughts—the ones that stick on to us, the ones that we ruminate over. We know why they're there, because our mind is trying to keep us safe. Our mind's there, reminding you that this is important. It might be a bit overprotective sometimes. Oh, look out! You're going to fail this exam. Um, and it's about that double-sided coin. So if you imagine there's a coin, and on one side of the coin there's the good stuff that you want, like I want to pass my exam, like I want people to like my presentation. And um, so on the one side of the coin, the good stuff that you want, you hold dear. And of course, on the other side of the coin, it's not the bad stuff, but it's the challenging stuff. Whatever is linked to your good stuff, there could be challenged about it. You know, I often say to people, well, I don't know, do you support a football team? And they'll go, yes or no. But if they go, no, and you say, well, if that team lost, would you worry about it? No, I wouldn't worry about it because that's not a challenge to you. It's only a challenge when you hold on to something dear and it becomes your good stuff. So notice then whatever those thoughts are, that's your good stuff. And we're saying that there will be challenge with that good stuff. So it's somehow accepting that's a challenge and then kind of dealing with it. Can you see how that might
0: um play out with exam stress, Louise? Yes, absolutely. And I think the challenging bit is that I think so much of so much is often tied into the, the outcomes of exams and assessments, isn't there? You know, we're thinking past the actual event to the outcomes, the implications. You know, and so if you're doing A-levels and you're thinking about the university places um, that you may or may not get, um, and if you're in your degree, you're thinking about the 2 one and the first that you want, that you need for whatever comes next. So I think it's really easy to go down that classification. Catastrophizing, ruminating route and start to build up that story in your head that, yeah, this is challenging and it's leading me in a way. But that kind of is what I call catastrophizing talk. And I think, you know, we can think about our thoughts in two different ways. You know, there's the ones that are around, I think, warranted worry. You know, doing an exam is stretching, it's challenging in itself. So focusing on that and thinking about that. But building a story around why beyond that exam and you know, how it may, implications might grow, it just makes it much worse. So I think kind of stopping ourselves from ruminating and catastrophizing is really important. And it's actually quite a waste of cognitive energy as well because it distracts us from that focus thinking that we actually really need to do so it's totally counterproductive um really and then it leads to an action because we kind of freeze and or we'll, we'll run away <laughs> one of the ways like those freeze and flight reactions um and I was just thinking about it the other day and thinking one thing when you're thinking about the work that you're doing rather than worrying about what you're aiming for in that goal that is perhaps a distance away, you know, A stars or A's, whatever you're thinking about, if you're doing A levels or firsts, if you're doing degrees, rather than focusing on that goal, which, okay, you have that goal and it's good to have it, but actually whilst you're in the midst of the work, focus on what you're gaining by the work you're doing all the time. So we'll come on to talk about planning later on. um, But, you know, think about, okay, I need to do this this week and at the end of the week, this is what I've done. And you focus on that gain. Um, and keep it very much in the present. And that's so much more helpful thinking. And it recognizes progress. And that's a really positive thing, too. Yeah, yeah. it's gone off the tangent there, but I think. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. That was really
1: helpful, Louise, because that staying in the present moment is a really good thing and a hard thing to do. I mean, these things we're talking to you about today is like about unhooking from some of these thoughts that you've got, getting some distance from it. It's a skill and it's something. To practice, you know, and if we'll maybe put some reading resources in in the, you know, as helpful. But sticking in the present moment is a, is a skill to be able to do because we're either we can be thinking about what's, what time zone do we live in? You know, some people are able to live in the present and be thinking about what they're doing now and what they're focusing on now. And that can be a really successful thing to do. Some of us are always looking into the future. Oh, what's going to happen, you know, in two weeks' time or a year's time? Or they're in, they've got that very future focus. And that can be helpful, but maybe not so much in exam times or maybe, or maybe notice or be thinking about the past when you failed exams in the past or you didn't do well. So I, I really like that, you capturing kind of trying to keep in that present moment, focusing on what you need to do now is a really good thing.
0: Yeah, because what you do now actually builds your future anyway. So yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and one another way I kind of, you know, responding to our thoughts as signals and not truths, I think is a really important thing that mm. it's not a truth that we're going to fail this exam because we don't know. You know, we we've no idea. And it's it is about, I think, you know, you were saying one of the way that we can look at our thoughts are or be thinking about things, there's maybe some things you have to problem solve, and those are the good things. You know, you have to think, is this a problem solvable thing? Like, how do I study at my best? That's something you can problem solve. But a hypothetical, like, what if I fail my exam? <laughs> That's, mm-hmm. What's good about, what's necessarily good about focusing in on that? So it's knowing a time to problem solve and knowing a time to kind of try and distance yourself from those thoughts. And another thing, another kind of technique I wanted to share with you uh, kind or of a strategy is about, I like this thing about think. Thoughts. So it's the T, the H, the I, the N, and the K. So a way to interrogate and be curious about your thoughts is think: is this thought true? I'll fail my exam. You don't know. You don't know. Is it helpful to you? It might, it might boost your stress levels into that optimum zone, or it might not, it might push you over. Is it important for you? Yeah, it's slightly important for you. At this time when you've got to do it, there's a deadline coming up. Is it necessary for you to think about this? That's a a little bit debatable. Is it kind? And you know, for my link with all the work that I like on inner compassion, it's it's certainly a thing to be thinking about. Is it kind to yourself to be thinking, I'll fail this exam? So, true, helpful, important, necessary kind. Another way maybe to unhook. So we've spent time reflecting on thoughts as signals, and now I want to turn to our emotions. And there's really interesting work from Professor Lisa Feldman Bar- Barrett, and she's got a great TED Talk, easy to listen to. Tune into. You have more control over your emotions than you think. A nice, a nice title. I'm not sure about the word control. I think I'd prefer response, but there we are. That's just me. But she suggests that emotions are not reactions to the world. There are constructions of the world. And just as we're gaining an understanding of how and why thoughts are made, it's important to understand about our emotional world and with implications on thoughts and behavior. So it's about reinterpreting or reappraising what's happening. And I've got a kind of recent example about it. I think it kind of fits well. So, I went to a new gym with a group of friends to try out some new equipment. Um, You know, you likely know there's a lot of interest in cold therapy, like ice baths and wild swimming for well-being. And they had this thing called a chirotherapy chamber. So, it's, I can tell you, it's icy cold. There's first a holding room when it's minus 60 degrees for 30 seconds. I already hear you take Louise, take an intake of breath. And then, Another um, room, it's, it's minus hundred. It's 110 degrees and you've got to be in there for two minutes. And I could notice myself when I was thinking about the stress curve, that I was in that mid-range of the stress curve. I was motivated to do it, especially because I was in a group of friends and I also I was about curious about what might happen. I did some have some thoughts about how am I going to manage this? And I could feel some tension in my body. And several questions came from me and the group, which was clearly our flight response. We were asking, if it's too much, can I just, I push the door. Isn't that right? I push it rather than pull. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't a freeze response. Sorry for the pun available in this situation. So my first step into the minus minus wasn't so bad. It was cold. And knowing I was going to get colder, my mind was predicting and anticipating I was aware of what was going in my mind. It was trying to protect me saying, "This is really cold, Elizabeth. Are you going to be able to manage it?" So then in the minus 110, at first I had a strong feeling all over my body, and I noticed my heart rate increasing. So how could I appraise this situation? Well, the first appraisal I could have made was, "I'm starting to panic." there's my heart beating fast. I need to get out of here. I need to push that door. That's what I was supposed to do, wasn't it? Push or pull? I can't remember, right? So I can't cope. I could have appraised it like that. Or another appraisal could have been, my heart was pumping fast to work the blood around my body, doing what it needs to do. It's got its own intelligence. It knows that my body's cold. It knows that the blood needs to come around my body. And that's why my heart's pumping fast. And I chose the latter. I did the two long minutes and they were long. Um, and I have to say afterwards, those endorphins kicked in and it felt good. And I thought I'd achieved something. There was that bit of that elastic band stretch. that was a bit much, but it was time limited. It was, it was bound up in those two minutes. And of course, we were all being carefully monitored. There was a pre- professional in the gym and we all had a health check before it. So how does that link with the exam stress? Well, reading your body signal, that emotional signal and giving it meaning is important to you. And, th- and there was me kind of choosing my signal and what I wanted it to mean for me. That um, exam session might bring out feelings of uncertainty, feeling a bit shaky, breathing quickens, butterflies in the stomach, That those body experiences. Or you might experience these as strong feelings in your body, strong emotions. It might be hard to distinguish them. So how can you view these differently? If you've got a shaky body, it might be your body is preparing for an event. You're not at the lower end of the stress curve. Your body's getting ready to get into some action. If you have a quick breath, it might be your body's being alert. It's bringing you some attention. It's getting to a level of where you're going to kind of use your body in a good way. These strong feelings show I care about my exam. I want to do well. And there's again the double-sided coin. And that butterflies in the stomach, Feldman Barrett offers us a phrase, get your butterflies in order. It's okay for them to be there. As we know, it's common. Stress is a little bit common. We feel these body symptoms. Give it a different meaning. Might it be excitement? Might it be a little bit of stress in your body getting ready to do something? It's common for this thing to happen when we go into different and new situations. And interestingly, she noticed that it notices that in the Western world, there's an automatic kind of like quick jerk, knee jerk reaction to high arousal and anxiety. So what if we had the capacity to have these feelings in our body and some emotions and interpret them in a different way, find another language for them that might be a little bit more helpful and you reassuring. We don't have to be our thoughts or feelings. This is what this kind of bit about when we're talking about, especially in relation to exam pressure. Feldman Barrett says, you are the architect of your experience. So you can change some meaning around what you're thinking and feeling. What are your thoughts and feelings about that, then, Louise?
0: Yeah, I think... It absolutely makes sense. And actually yesterday I was yeah, I was, I was cleaning the house and I was getting a little bit fed up with the fact that I was doing that on a Sunday. And I just stood back and sort of acknowledged my emotions and thought what's feeding into those frustration and a bit of self-pity. And actually once I'd named it, it kind of went away, which was very interesting. And this is what she says, that... You can, you know, if you take a step back and and observe those emotions, and then you kind of name them, as as Elizabeth said earlier on, name it to tame it. They they suddenly then reduce in their intensity. So that's quite an interesting observation. I think she tells a lovely story about that, doing a presentation. Oh, I think doing this TED talk, she was feeling very highly aroused. She, she caused emotions high, high arousal, she she ever, ever the scientist, but she, she was standing off the stage and, getting, and obviously feeling quite um, high level of arousal because she was going to do the presentation, which she realised she could name as, oh, I'm really anxious about this and I'm scared, I'm going to make a mistake and it's going to go wrong. Or she could name it as determination. So she chose to name it as determination. I'm determined I'm going to go out and do a really good presentation. That's why I'm feeling like this. This is just my body getting primed with that determined feeling. And I can totally see the sense of that. But she also does say it takes practice. So the important thing to say about this way of observing emotions is that it's totally doable but it does take practice so don't think you're going to walk into an exam and just relabel it on that one day you know it's about thinking about it now and just noticing emotions and playing with it um in your day-to-day and just seeing how you can change your interpretation of those emotions or physical body sensations yeah
1: good. Okay. I, I love it I, I i think it's i think it's a very helpful way of 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 doing something other than get your study, exam, organization done and and kind of eating well before the night before. You know, of course those things are important, but the way we construct our world and think about things is and feel about things is ever so important. And we've got to kind of almost like focus on that first before we do lots of the other things. So the making and meaning that... You know the meaning that we make of things is really, really important. And you know, for some people who you might think, oh, they seem to deal quite well with exams. You know, there could be a whole raft and reason about what, what you know, why that is. But one of it might be because they they are kind of observing and naming things and 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 relabeling, reappraising
0: things in quite a positive way. And I was just thinking that kind of self, that talk around, because it is your thoughts around exams, assessments, why you're doing what you're doing, how important it is to you and how you want to approach it. You know, that that's all the work you need to be doing now that then will create a calmer approach to exams later on. So that's another reason for thinking about this now in February and starting to practice this uh, this thinking approach so that you you are able to be clear about what you're doing and why you're doing it and put the work in because the work also is the other side of all of this. You can have the thoughts, but if the, the thoughts don't lead to the work, then you're still in the same situation. So it's kind of how you utilise strategies like this to to produce the more positive, helpful thoughts and emotions around all of this that then enable you to do what's needed. Yeah. And it's all a kind of interactive cycle, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It took me a long time to get in there. But.
1: Oh, no. And and I think the thing you're right, Louise, is this is work. This is mm-hmm. work to be done. You know, it's not necessarily, and I'm not saying this is easy, you know, get a, get a routine and get a study pattern and get a study body and all that kind of stuff. They might seem quite more, I'm going to say straightforward. I know they're not, but... This takes a little bit more of self reflection and looking inside and seeing what's going on. And it might, that this deeper dive might help you when those other usual strategies don't work. It is about that making meaning of our experiences and gaining and growing knowledge of ourselves, that kind of self leadership, being able to take yourself to a different place and not stay in the same old place. Knowing the stress or pressure that can enable you to do the things that you need to do. And it's a good time to have this, perhaps a a time to explore these things when you're at university learning lots of other different things too.
0: Yeah. And I think it's also a time to remember to think about the conversations you're having around exams and assessments, whether you're at school, or university as well, because we can all build a story around them through our interactions with others as well, that's not entirely helpful. You know, we catastrophize, ruminate together. That's classic, isn't it? You get together with your friends and one friend says, oh, I'm not going to ever get to doing this. And like, oh, it's all going really badly. And then you start thinking, mm, yes, yeah, well, I didn't do much better either. It's going badly for me. And then we start to create these stories, narratives yeah. that just aren't helpful. So think about, yeah, the narrative that you're creating through your thoughts as well
1: so next time when we meet we're going to share some other strategies and not surprisingly they're going to be linked to our fundamental se- series um so we'll leave you with that with those kind of messages today read the signals and act on them right notice what's happening notice that you can change notice that you can do something different when you tune in mm-hmm. thanks for tuning in to us today bye bye for now
0: So thank you so much for listening and we hope that you found the content in this episode interesting and helpful. Now I think it's great to finish with a quick summary. So here goes. We discussed the Yerkes and Dodson explanation of stress arousal levels and the inverted U-shaped curve. We talked about stress being a normal and necessary response to a requirement to perform. We need it to get going and get everyday things done, including our studying and work. We talked about what it can feel like to move away from the optimal state and the impact our thinking can have on enhancing stress levels beyond the optimal zone. Do you remember the strategy that we talked about in relation to thoughts? Well, there's the thought that. If we use that before the thought in our mind, it helps to create distance and perspective. Also, remember the double sided coin? When things matter to us, They're things that we want. The other side of the coin will hold the challenging stuff and worries that are directly linked to the good stuff. So we really do have that duality going on all the time. We also shared a helpful mnemonic for thinking about our thoughts called think, which stood for true, helpful, important, necessary and kind. We talked at the end about our emotions and how Professor Lisa Feldman Barrett suggests we have a lot more control over our emotions than we think. And her reminder, you are the architect of your experience. So we hope that this was a helpful dive into the experience of Sam's stress and how it impacts our thoughts and emotions with some helpful strategies for coping and minimising now if you are feeling extremely stressed and anxious about exams and assessments and this is really impacting your performance and life generally then we really suggest you seek some professional help please go and talk to your tutor to your wellbeing services or your gp there you know, is help out there to support you so please go and ask for that help finally there's some resources to follow up with these include Professor Lisa Feldman Barrett's conversation with Adam Grant on his podcast Work Life. It was published on the 16th of Jan 2024 and called You Have More Control Over Your Emotions Than You Think. There's also a great resource from this podcast, which is really worth a listen, episode three on Minding Your Mind. And finally, if you want to read more about the Yerkes and Dodson concept and also stress generally then go to positivepsychology.com forward slash what dash is stress e-u stress so that's all for today we'll be back next week with some more strategies for managing exam and assessment stress meanwhile we wish you a really great and productive week bye-bye for now for the legal bits the information contained in this podcast is for information purposes only the content is not intended to act as a substitute for professional advice please do not delay in seeking professional help for any medical or mental health condition use of the information in this podcast and associated materials is at the user's own risk